Namaste and blessings. This Swami welcomes you with great love and great respect from the heart of all. Two, meditative living with Swami Shivananda Giri. And what we are doing is episode number Three of the Gyaneshwar's Gita series. Gyaneshwar's Gita, if you are not familiar, you should really go back to episode one there at www.type1radio. That's the digit one, not the spelling. www dot type one radio dot com and start with number one because all of this builds over time you can't just jump in and expect to understand so please do that if you need to for those of you who have been following along thank you ever so much for allowing this Swami to share with you this great work. Uh, this was carried out by a young man in his teens named Yanishwar. And this is his commentary of the Bhagavad Gita, which is found in the Mahabharata. So, let us jump right back into chapter one, the depression of Arjuna. Verse 10 of Bhagavad Gita. Sufficient is that force of ours guarded by Bhishma. Insufficient, though, is the force guarded by by Bhima, Gyaneshwar's commentary. Moreover, Bhishma, the best of all the warriors and the most courageous fighter in battle, has been placed in command of our army. Under his direction, this army is organized like a fortress. Compared with it, even the three worlds are insignificant. The ocean itself is impassable. But what if the great sea fire were added to it? Just as the great wind and the fire of destruction combine to bring about the end of the universe, so is our army with its general, Ganga's son. Who will fight against him? The army of the Pandavas seems insignificant compared with ours. The mighty Bhimasena is its general. Then he stopped talking. Verse number 11 and in all movements, stationed each in his respective place, all of you indeed protect Bhishma. Yaneshwar's commentary. Then Duryodhana told all the troops, arrange yourselves 
in your respective detachments. The command should be given to those great chariot fighters who direct the various sections of the battlefield. They should each command their own troops and obey Bhishma. He told Drona, you watch over everything. Especially protect Bhishma. You must consider him my own self, for our whole army depends entirely on him. Verse 12. Making him, Duryodhana, happy, the aged Kuru, his grandsire, roaring like a lion, blew his conch horn powerfully. Gyaneshwar's commentary. Hearing the king's words, the commander rejoiced and roared like a lion. That marvelous sound was heard throughout the three worlds and resounded on all sides. In harmony with the reverberating echoes, the godlike Bhishma blew his divine conch with all his might. The two sounds together deafened the three worlds as if the heavens were crashing down. The skies were shattered by thunder. The ocean heaved and the whole creation trembled. The valleys were filled with the din. Then, all the warriors beat their war drums. Verse 13. And thereupon the conch horns and the kettle drums, the cymbals, drums, and trumpets, all at once were sounded. The uproar was tremendous. Gyaneshwar's commentary. Then there was heard the terrific roar of countless battle instruments, and it appeared that the end of the world had come. That what was the state of the faint-hearted? The timid were blown away like dry leaves. Even the god of death was terrified. There were drums, horns, conches and bugles with the terrible cries of the warriors. Some beat their weapons violently, shouting with fury so the elephants could not be restrained. Some even died right where they stood. Brave men's teeth chattered and incomparable fighters also shook with fear. The terrible, deafening sound of all those instruments of war reverberated so that even the Creator was afraid. The gods exclaimed, the day of universal destruction will certainly come. Verse 14. Then, standing in the great chariot, yoked, with white horses, Krishna and Arjuna sounded forth their divine concorns. Gyaneshvar's commentary. While this commotion was heard even in the abode of the gods, listen to what occurred in the army of the Pandavas. Behold that chariot, which was the essence of victory and the treasure house of light to which there were yoked four horses as swift as Garuda. It was as resplendent as a winged Meru. Its brilliance shone in all the four quarters of the earth. And the Lord of Vaikuntha himself was its charioteer. Who could accurately describe it? At the head of the chariot 
satin image of the monkey god, the incarnation of Sri Shankara, and the holder of the Shanga bow was the charioteer along with Arjuna. Behold this wondrous act of the Lord. What great love he had for his disciple, that he served Arjuna as his charioteer. Verse 15. Krishna blew his panchajanya. Arjuna blew Devadatta, while Bhima, terrible in action, blew the great conch horn Pandra. Yanishvar's commentary. Seated in front with his disciple behind him, he joyfully blew his conch, called Panchanjaya, while the deep sound was reverberating just as all the stars fade when the sun rises. All the warlike sounds of the Kuru army were silenced, and it was impossible to tell when they faded away. Similarly, Arjuna blew loudly on his horn, named Devadatta, with a deep, resounding tone. These two terrible sounds united, and the whole universe seemed to be shattered to pieces. At that moment, Bimathena grew furious, as if the god of destruction were enraged, and he blew on his great conch, called Pandra, Verse 16. King Yudhishthira, son of Kunti, blew Anantavijaya, Nakula, and Sahadeva, blew Shugosha, and Manapushpaka. Gyanishvar's commentary. The sound of the conches was like thunderclaps on the day of destruction. Yudhishthira also blew his Anantavijaya. Then Nakula blew his conch, Shugosha, and Sahadev his Manapushpaka. Hearing these sounds, even the god of death trembled with fear. Verse 17. And the king of Kashi, supreme archer, and Shikandi, that great warrior, Drishtadyumana, and Virata, and Setiaki, the invincible, Gyanishvar's commentary. On the field, there were many kings, such as Drupada and the sons of Draupadi, the king of Kashi. Verse 18. Drupada and the sons of Draupadi, all together, O Lord of the earth, and the strong-armed son of Shubhadra blew their conch horns, each his own. Gyanishvar's commentary. Satyaka, the unconquerable, the son of Arjuna, Drishtadyamna, the best of kings, Shikandi, the others, like Virata, all leading warriors continuously blew their horns. Verse 19. The noise burst asunder the hearts of the sons of Dirarashtra, and the tumult caused the sky and the earth to resound. Yanishvar's commentary. 
terrified by the vibrations of these sounds, Shisha and Kerma were confused and tried to throw off the burden of the earth. The foundations of the three worlds were shaken. The mountains Meru and Mandara began to rock, and the ocean heaved up to the sky. The earth was about to turn upside down. The sky was terrified, and the stars were about to fall. A cry arose in the highest heaven that the universe had been destroyed and the gods were helpless. The sun did not shine. The cries of lamentation echoed throughout all three worlds as if the great light of the final dissolution had vanished. Even the supreme being was astonished and exclaimed, Is this the end of all things? Then suddenly this chaos ceased. The universe was saved when Lord Krishna and the others blew their great horns. Otherwise, the end of the age might have occurred. Although the deep sounds had ceased, their echoes continued to reverberate so that the army of the Karavas was destroyed. Just as a lion may kill a herd of elephants, so the sound struck terror into the Karavas' hearts. As they heard the thunder, they lost heart and cried out to one another, Beware! Beware! Verse 20. Then Arjuna, having seen the sons of Dirachrashtra drawn up in battle array, raised his bow as the clash of weapons began. Gyaneshwar's commentary. Then those great and fearless warriors, full of courage, began to assemble the army. At that point, the army rushed forward with redoubled vigor so that the three worlds trembled. Those brave archers shot forth a stream of arrows like the downpour from the clouds on the day of final destruction. At the sight of it, Arjuna inwardly rejoiced and hastily turned to look at the two armies. When he saw the Karava warriors arrayed for battle, Arjuna gracefully picked up his bow. Verse 22. Arjuna then spoke these words to Krishna. O Lord of the earth, Cause my chariot to stand in the middle between the two armies, imperishable one. Arjuna's commentary. Then Arjuna spoke these words to the Lord. Now quickly place my chariot between the two armies. Verse 22. Until I behold these warriors, battle-hungry and arrayed, with whom must I fight in undertaking this battle? Ganeshvar's commentary. While I look for a moment at all these warriors gathered here for battle, they have all come together here, and I wish to see those with whom I will have to fight on the battlefield. Verse 23. I behold those who are about to give battle, having come together here, wishing to do service in warfare for the evil-minded son of Dhritarashtra. 
Ganeshwar's commentary. These evil-minded and impatient Karavas pretend that they love to fight, although they lack the spirit for it. They make believe that they are eager to fight, but they have no courage in battle. Having narrated all this to the king, Sanjaya said, verse 24, Thus Krishna was addressed by Arjuna, O Dhritarashtra, having caused the chief chariot to stand in the middle between the two armies? Gyaneshwar's commentary. When Arjuna said this, Lord Krishna drove his chariot and placed it between the two armies. Verse 25. Before the eyes of Bhishma and Drona and all these rulers of the earth, Arjuna said, Behold these Kurus assembled. Yanishvar's commentary. There, before him, he saw Bhishma, Drona, other relatives, and many kings. When his chariot was driven in front of them, Arjuna eagerly looked at them all. Then he exclaimed, Look, O Lord, all these are our family members and relatives, our elders and teachers. Shri Krishna was astonished for a moment at this remark. He said to himself, what does this mean? What does he have in his mind? Then he looked into the future and immediately knew what was in Arjuna's mind, but he remained silent. Verse 26, Arjuna saw standing there fathers, then grandfathers, teachers, maternal uncles, brothers, sons, grandsons, friends as well. Janishvar's commentary. There on the battlefield, Arjuna could see all his elders, grandparents, uncles, other relatives, and teachers. He saw his friends, sons, and brothers-in-law among them. Verse 27. Arjuna saw fathers-in-law, companions in the two armies, and contemplated all his kinsmen arrayed for battle. Yanishvar's commentary. Arjuna saw there his dear ones, his young grandsons, fathers-in-law, and his other relatives. There were both old and young, those who were under obligation to him and those whom he had protected in distress. Thus, Arjuna could see all his relatives in both armies, standing ready to fight at that moment. Verse 28. Filled with infinite pity, despondent, he said this, Having seen my own people, Krishna, desiring to fight and approaching. Gyaneshwar's commentary. At this, his heart was bewildered, and he naturally felt pity. Unable to bear such humiliation, he lost courage. Just as high-born women, virtuous and beautiful, cannot tolerate another woman with superior qualities, just as a lustful man 
enchanted by another woman, forgets his own wife, and recklessly follows his passion. Or, as a man practicing austerities, attains spiritual powers, becomes confused, and forgets his goal. It was the same with Arjuna. He was overcome by pity, and manliness left him. Just as a person who recites mantras may become mad and appear to be possessed by an evil spirit, similarly, Arjuna was overcome by infatuation. When his heart melted with compassion, his manliness deserted him, just as a moonstone melts when it is touched by moonlight. In this way, Arjuna was overcome by pity, full of sadness. He addressed Lord Krishna. Listen to me, O Lord. When I look at this army of warriors, everywhere I see my own family members. All these warriors are standing here ready to fight. But how can this be right for me? The very thought of it bewilders and unnerves me. My mind has almost lost its stability. Verse 29. My limbs sink down. My mouth dries up. My body trembles, and my hair stands on end. Verse 30. Gandiva, Arjuna's bow. This falls from my hand. My skin burns. I am unable to remain as I am, and my mind seems to ramble. Gyaneshwar's commentary. See how my body trembles, my mouth is parched, and my limbs are weak. My hair stands on end, I am feverish, and because of this distress, I cannot hold my bow. I cannot hold on to it, it slips from my hand without my knowledge. My heart is weighed down with foolishness. Although my heart is harder than a diamond, Bold and courageous, this madness is even stronger. Arjuna, who had conquered Shankar and had overcome the god of death, was immediately overwhelmed with confusion. Just as a bee can easily pierce the hardest wood, but may be caught in a tender bud. There it may lose its life. For it does not know how to tear apart the petals. Pity is like this, so soft and yet so hard. Sanjaya said, listen, O king, affection is the illusion of the supreme being, and not even the creator himself can control it. This is the reason for Arjuna's confusion. Listen, O king, when Arjuna saw all his friends and relatives, he forgot about the honor of battle. I do not understand how such pity has arisen in Arjuna's heart. Then Arjuna said, O Krishna, it is not right for me to remain here. My mind is completely bewildered, and my speech is confused at the thought of killing all these relatives of mine. Verse 31. I perceive inauspicious omens, O Krishna, and I foresee misfortune in destroying my own people in battle. Yanishvar's commentary. If the Kauravas must be killed, then why not kill Yudhishthira and those others? 
All of them are equally my relatives. This war is shameful. I do not like it at all. What is the use of this evil? Oh, Lord, from every standpoint, this battle is evil. So it would be an excellent thing to avoid it. Verse 32. I do not desire victory, Krishna, not kingship, not pleasures. What is kingship to us, Krishna? What are enjoyments? What is life? Yadishvara's commentary. The desire for victory is nothing to me. What good would it do me to become a king? Verse 33. Those for whose sake we desire kingship, enjoyments and pleasures, they are arrayed here in battle abandoning their lives and their riches. Gyaneshwar's commentary. Take these pleasures, which can only be enjoyed by slaying these people. Arjuna spoke in this way. I can bear anything except this kind of pleasure. I am even prepared to die. My mind cannot entertain the thought, even in a dream, that we should kill these men and then enjoy the pleasures of a kingdom. What good would it do us to have been born? For whom should we wish to live if our minds were to think evil of our elders? Every family desires a son. Is destroying your family to be the fruit of it? How can we hold such a thought in our minds or speak with words as hard as diamonds? We should always seek their good. These men should enjoy whatever we acquire in this world. Our lives should be spent in their interest. We should overcome all the kings in the world to satisfy our families. And here they stand before us. What strange turn of fate is this? They are standing here ready to fight with us. They have left behind their wives, their children, all their treasures, and have submitted their lives to weapons of destruction. How can I kill them? With what weapons can I attack them? How can I strike at my own heart? Verse 34. Teachers, fathers, sons, and also grandfathers, maternal uncles, fathers-in-law, grandsons, brothers-in-law, and other kinsmen, Yanishvar's commentary. Don't you know who they are? Over there are Bhishma and Drona, who have been so good to us. Our brothers-in-law, fathers-in-law, uncles, sons, grandsons, and other relatives who are so dear to us. Listen! These are all our close relatives. It is a sin even to speak of killing them. Verse 35. I do not desire to kill them who are bent on killing Krishna, even for the sovereignty of the three worlds. How much less than for this earth? Yanishvar's commentary. It would be better for them to perform any unworthy action and to kill us than for me to think of killing them. Verse 
even if I could attain undisputed sovereignty over all the three worlds, I could never commit such an evil action. Verse 36. What joy would it be for us to strike down the sons of Dhritarashtra? Oh, Krishna, evil thus would cling to us, having killed these aggressors. Gyaneshwar's commentary. Oh, Krishna, if I were to do this, who would have respect for me? And how could I look you in the face? If I were to kill my relatives, I would become the abode of all sin. I would lose you, who have become so dear to me. If I became burdened with the sins of destroying my family, how could I even look at you? Just as the cuckoo does not remain in a garden when it sees a fierce fire spreading there. And when the Chakor bird sees a lake full of mud, it abandons it and leaves. Similarly, O oh Lord, if my righteousness were destroyed, your love for me would vanish and you would desert me. Verse. 37. Therefore, we are not justified in killing the sons of Dhritarashtra, our own kinsmen. How, having killed our own people, could we be happy, Krishna? Yanishvar's commentary. Therefore, I will not do this, nor will I take a weapon in my hand in this battle, for it seems utterly contemptible to me. If I were to lose you, what would become of us? Without you, my heart would be broken with grief. Arjuna said, it would be impossible for us to enjoy the reward if we destroyed these Karavas. Verse 38. Even if those whose thoughts are overpowered by greed do not perceive the wrong caused by the destruction of the family and the crime of treachery to friends, Verse 39, why should we not know enough to turn back from this evil? Through discernment of the wrong caused by the destruction of the family, O Krishna. Ganeshvar's commentary. Even if these men, deluded by pride, have come to fight, we should recognize what is good for us. If a lion suddenly appeared in our path, we would save our lives by avoiding it. How can we do this and kill our relatives at the same time? Would we knowingly swallow deadly poison? What do we gain, O oh Lord, if we abandon the light which we have and choose a pit of darkness. If we found ourselves near a fire and made no effort to avoid it, we could be burned to death in an instant. So knowing what we are approaching, the very incarnation of sin, should we go forward into it? Verse 40. In the destruction of the family, the ancient family laws vanish. When the law has perished, 
lawlessness overpowers the entire family also. Ganeshwar's commentary. Just as when two pieces of wood are rubbed against each other, fire is produced, and all the wood in the world can be burned up by it. Similarly, if the members of a family kill one another out of spite from that sin, the whole family will perish. Through this sin, all the dharma of the family is destroyed and unrighteousness enters the family. Verse 41. Because of the ascendancy of lawlessness, Krishna, the family women are corrupted. When women are corrupted, O Krishna, the intermixture of caste is born. Janishvar's commentary. Then all consideration of right and wrong, the proper performance of duties, and all standards of conduct are ignored. When a person's lamp is extinguished and he walks in the darkness, he is in danger of falling even though he may walk straight. In the same way, if a family is destroyed, its dharma will be lost and nothing will remain. When self-control is lacking, the senses run wild and the women of the family commit adultery. Verse 42. Intermixture brings to hell the family destroyers and the family too. The ancestors of these indeed fall, deprived of offerings of rice and water. Ganeshwar's commentary. The noblest mix with the most vulgar. The castes mingle, and all the family traditions are destroyed. If an offering of rice is thrown out on a public road, Crows will fall on it from every side. Similarly, great sin enters into such a family. Then the entire family and those who have destroyed it must descend into hells. In this way, the family will be degraded and its ancestors in heaven will be drawn into hell. When the daily and periodical duties are no longer performed, who is left to carry out the rites of the dead? Then, how is it possible for the ancestors to live in the heaven world? They will also have to enter hell along with the family. When the tip of a person's finger is bitten by a serpent, his whole body soon becomes affected by the poison. Similarly, such a sin will overwhelm the whole family, even up to its origins in Brahma. Verse 43. By these wrongs of the family destroyers, producing intermixture of caste, caste duties are abolished and eternal family laws also. Verse 44. Men whose family laws have been obliterated, O Krishna, dwell indefinitely in hell. Thus, we have heard repeatedly. Verse 45. Ah, alas, we are resolved to do a great evil, which is to be intent on killing our own people through greed for royal pleasures. Ganeshwar's commentary. Oh Lord, listen to me. This great sin would be contagious and corrupt all people. If a fire should break out in one's house, others would also soon be enveloped in flames and everything in the home would be burned. Similarly, 
All others who come in contact with this family are attacked by troubles. Arjuna said, because of manifold sins, the family will experience the deepest horrors of hell. So abysmal is the ruin of the family that once they fall into hell, they cannot escape from it, even at the end of a great age. O oh Lord, one hears about this in various ways. Shouldn't it trouble us now? Please listen! Why are our hearts so hard? Shouldn't we avoid this sin, realizing that the kingship we desire is only momentary? Tell me, is it so small a sin to look at our elders with the idea of killing them? Verse 46. If the armed sons of Dhritarashtra should kill me in battle while I was unresisting and unarmed, this would be a greater happiness for me. Yanishwar's commentary. It would be far better for me to put down my weapon and be struck by their arrows than to live in this way. Death itself would be more welcome. I cannot commit such a sin. Verse 47. Thus, having spoken on the battlefield, Arjuna sat down upon the seat of the chariot, throwing down both arrow and bow with a heart overcome by sorrow. Gyanishwar's commentary. Sanjaya said to Dhritarashtra, Arjuna spoke like this on the battlefield. Listen. Arjuna was greatly dejected. He was choked with uncontrollable grief and jumped down from his chariot. Just as a prince is distressed when he is deprived of his throne. Or as the sun is bereft of its splendor when eclipsed by Rahu, or just as an ascetic overcome by fascination with psychic powers becomes helpless and dominated by desire. In the same way, Arjuna was unnerved by grief when he abandoned his chariot. Flinging away his bow and arrow, he wept in spite of himself. This is what happened, O king, said Sanjaya. Now, Lord Krishna, seeing Arjuna so dejected, explained to him the great truth. Gyanadeva, the disciple of Nivriti, will tell this most interesting story in detail. But first... <laughs> the break song we have just concluded the first chapter the depression of Arjuna stick around Sonic and this Swami will chat a bit on meditative living
Namaste and blessings. Thank you ever so much for allowing this Swami to share Gyaneshwar's Gita so far. Hope you are enjoying it. May everything the Swami does be blessed by Sadhguru. And may Sadhguru be pleased with the Swami's efforts, always and in always. Hey, Sonic! <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Got a little excited in this one. Um, yeah, you did. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> this is what sets the entirety of Bhagavad Gita in motion. So, so um, now you know that in Bhagavad Gita, what's happening is a shifty part of the family is trying to defeat the rightful ruling part of the family. They are attempting to usurp the throne. That's what's happening. Mm -hmm. That's why this battle has begun. But they're still family. And there have, are those who have, you know, friends and this and that and the other thing who have split now. You know, like like when a couple splits <laughs> and some get... Some friends. You know, <laughs> some right, right, because they, that's how things like this go. And that's what's happening right here in Bhagavad Gita. Uh, but the, the sort of... Um, the message I'm getting out of it, even with the factions in place there, uh, is to um, not necessarily treat uh, your enemy as your enemy because they are your family. Well, that's certainly the point that Arjuna has come to where he's just like, no way, Dro drops his drops his bow <laughs> what what archer does that in the midst of, of a battle because it's already begun and he will not engage he just cannot he cannot wrap his mind around what he's going to have to do to these human beings who he's known all his life this isn't an army 
that is unknown and just, you know, guys from somewhere else that just wear a different uniform, but you've never met them. These are all people he's known his whole life. His uh, teachers and... <laughs> Um, I, th I think the that idea, though, of um, it's almost like treat your uh, everybody as they're your family, and then you won't be able to pick up arms against them. Well, that's that's a that's a very new agey kind of thing, uh, which doesn't generally work out in the real world, but we'll 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 address situations like that as as the book goes on. Cause you know, if that were the actual way it gets resolved, that's no resolution at all. And you know, this is life in the third dimension on this third rock from the sun. And there is right and there is wrong. And there are rules in play. You know, here, here Arjuna brings up all the karmic hassles and, you know, how the this, this deteriorates the entire lineage. And, well, you know, these are the... These are the con. The, this is the the point he's been driven to, which of course Krishna, being his guru, knew he was headed for this, but had to let him get there. Yeah, let it let it play out. You know, he's that's what he has to do as a guru. Now, see, here's here's something people need to understand, who are not beneficiaries of guru's grace uh, those of us who are every single bump in the path we have to go through we must because there are things there to be learned elsewise it would just be smooth eh and when we hit these things, we go to the guru. Well, the wise ones do. And we ask, how do we deal with this? What, what's, what's all this going on? And then instruction is given. And we put it into practice. And we move on to the next bump. <laughs> Or perhaps we get some sharp words or any number of ways that things can be sorted out between a disciple and a guru. And this is a very, very powerful and traditional way of learning things. Very much like, well, I can't even really think of how many skills today utilize the apprentice approach where one, you know, who's new, just gotten through with their primary schooling is now going into a, a field of endeavor under the supervision of a master, a, a craftsman, a whatever, but someone at the highest level of talent and skill, well, they become an apprentice to this person and this person trains them and trains them in any form or fashion they see fit. No one tells the master how to do it. <laughs> They've already been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, had a beer and split. And now they're ready to train someone else to then take their place one day, but not today. <laughs> So it is enormously valuable to have someone with the very skill you hope to one day acquire to teach you and to guide you through the worst parts of it. 
because they were once guided themselves before they attained mastery. And it's exactly the same. Now, of course, you know, different scenarios are going to occur in a workplace than in the spiritual life, but really appreciated from a Swami point of view that in Gyaneshwar's commentary, he spoke of what happens with high yogis that get wrapped up in the cities, in the psychic powers that come. And you can very easily get wrapped up and fall and lose your way because your ego gets all wrapped up in this what you can do thing and then wanting to show that off or gain from it in some way, which is never, ever the right thing to do. And all kinds of weird stuff can happen. It just depends. But we all go through it. We have to. <laughs> it's part of the it's part of the learning. And if you've not even hit that part, well you're still a long way from the goal. You can't even see the goal from where you're at. If you've not even yet got to that point. You know? <laughs> Settle in. <laughs> you got way more practice to do. <laughs> How are we doing time-wise? Uh, we're just over uh, it's what, an hour and five minutes. Oh, tell you what. Let's wrap it up right here if you're okay with that. Uh, okay. And uh, we will take up chapter two called Yoga of Knowledge, where Krishna begins teaching his dejected, disciple and exposing to him the wisdom in the world so stick around or be here next time <laughs> here on meditative living namaste and blessings om namo narayana <laughs>